Hey everyone, welcome back to the Leadership Locker. This is going to be a best of episode, okay? This is one of the best podcasts I've ever conducted. It's with Patrick Bet David, who's a serial entrepreneur, author, big time YouTuber. I mean, like the dude's inside, big time podcaster, huge on Insta. He's incredibly, incredibly influential in the entrepreneur community. And uh, like uh, Gary and like Andy, when I visited him, people were just beyond kind and accommodating and helpful and the atmosphere was just exactly what i wanted and as you'll be able to tell by the podcast it was just nonchalant fun and and just aimed to help you be better now you who are you you are a new entrepreneur you're an aspiring entrepreneur you are a seasoned entrepreneur who likes to get knowledge from industry experts and influencers and that's why i started this podcast And you also have episodes where I'm just talking by myself. I'm documenting the journey. I'm telling you some things that have transpired that you're going through, that you might go through, that you will go through one day. You know, this is this is one of those things where entrepreneurship is is like you feel super lonely and and it's things like this and some of the knowledge that you're about to hear that is going to help you along the way. Now, in this episode, he focuses on business relationships, uh, you know, partnerships, things of that nature. And uh, I, I really think you're going to get something out of it. So this was, I believe, episode 100. This was like right released right before the, the podcast just exploded. So I'm re-releasing it for you. And here we go. All right, well, I'm gonna kick it in the interest of time. I've never literally ever started a, with a rapid fire. I don't ever do rapid fire questions, but I've listened to your shit so much and I'm like, I got a lot of questions. Okay. This is just to kind of set it. You are a big mob guy. All right, you love it, you're fascinated. So what is the top movie, mob movie? Top mob movie that I could watch over and over again. It's probably going to be Godfather first, but I'm also a big Carlitos Way guy. Really? Yeah. yeah. Benny from the Bronx. I'm yep. good fellas. All right. One thing you own right now that you know you could do without. That I could do with that? Yeah. Everything I own except for <laughs> anything that was given to me by my family. Got it. All right. Uh, if you were 20-something right now in, this, in 2021, would you rather have $1 million or 1 million followers? At 2021, 1 million uh, followers or $1 million? Yeah, if you were... Probably 1 million followers because it means there's a reason why I have a million followers and I'll be able to monetize it. If I have a million dollars, maybe it's through luck, so I'll take the followers. I'm I'm with you. Yeah. Tell me one mistake you've made today. Uh, One mistake I made today, I had a... um, One mistake I made today. What did I do today I made a mistake? (laughs) I'm trying to go back and think about what my schedules look like. Uh, I uh, did a Zoom and uh, we finished at 3.30. One of my meetings went over seven minutes. So from the moment I missed my meeting by seven minutes, everything else was late seven minutes. <laughs> That's how it is, right? If Do you tell people if they have food in their teeth? If it's somebody that we're, up, we're about to get on camera with, yes. If it's a stranger, <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Uh, nickname people don't know you have or had? Big Daddy. Big Daddy? Yeah. All right. I've never said that before. I cannot. By the way, my, my uh, uh, <laughs> Apple iCloud account is Daddy, 1978. That should tell you. And that was 20 years ago. So it's <laughs> something I never talk about. So one of your guys uh, worked out to LSG music. Are you still against working out to LSG music? <laughs> Which one is on my body all over your body, babe? Is that the one? Yeah. No, I, he works out to random music, but we tease him all the time. Paul. Uh, Paul. All right best guest that you've interviewed that you didn't think that was a monster guest that you were like blown away. I know, of course, you had an interest uh, and and knew they were going to be awesome, but 
they absolutely blew you away and you didn't expect it. I wasn't expecting Robert Spaulding, the Air Force General, to get 4 million views. I was not expecting Clint Hill, the Secret Service agent of Jackie Kennedy, who was a Secret Service agent to four presidents, to get 7 million views. I was not expecting those two. All right. Yeah. Number one speeding ticket out of the 16 or 20 something that you have, like how fast were you going? And did you say, did you think you could outrun the cops in any of those situations? So, so the fastest speeding ticket, I, 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 uh, meaning I got away with or that I got the ticket? That you got. So I got a ticket and it, I was going 140, but the guy put me in at 95 so I wouldn't get arrested. He said, I put you over 100, you're going to jail. He says, I'm gonna put you at 95 so you don't go you know, to jail. So nice cop, whoever that was, Good shout out Lord. to you. <laughs> Favorite Kobe game memory? Uh, last game is uh, is uh, probably got to be the one. I, I don't think I can forget that one. Yeah, I, I always remember uh, I was flipping between that and the Warriors that night because I'm like 73 wins, 60 points. Like this is ridiculous. Yep. So I mean, you never, no one ever talks about the 73. That's so. right. All right. So let's talk about. Uh, I kind of want to focus this on having non-negotiables as an entrepreneur um, and obviously processing. I know you're big on processing. So. A long time ago, you quit emotionally out of that Bally's job when that guy Edwin or whatever got that thing, and you quit emotionally. And obviously that paved the path, but when I listen to that, I always say to myself, are you mad that you quit emotionally? Like, it was an emotional-based decision, but it was also a necessary decision. So Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, uh, so it's funny you say that. To me, that was a emotional decision based on somebody compromising values and principles that I hold very dear to me. For example, if you work with me, and if you were to ask 500 people that work with me, what is the most annoying thing about working with Pat? They'll tell you this. Don't tell Pat what you're going to do. Because if you do, he's gonna hold you to it and you're gonna hear it from him hundreds of times till it becomes a reality, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, if he, Robbie, told me if I beat Edwin, yep. who was at a bigger club at Hollywood and I'm working at Chatsworth, yep. And if he said, if you beat Edwin and you grow Chatsworth to a bigger club, I'll give you the weekend manager position in Hollywood. If he said that, I did every single thing he asked of me. Then I hit it and then he didn't give me the promotion. What the hell am I doing working over there? So imagine the next meeting I have with Robbie. Robbie's gonna have a conversation with me because I wanna be challenged. It's not like I don't wanna be in a place to not be challenged. Yep. But imagine if Robbie has a follow-on meeting with me. He says, Patrick, if you do X, Y, Z the next six months, I'm gonna put you in the biggest club in Chicago. I no longer believe his words. It compromises my values and principles. I'm out of here, I can't be there. I like to call it the Duce ratio. Yeah. Like if your Duce ratio is out of whack, then, then it's over. So I was listening, I was reading and listening, and in 2010, you depleted $500,000 of savings. Mm -hmm. You're down to 13K, you're mm -hmm. in the apartment life now, and you said, I had a decision to make, and you put 13K back into the business essentially, and it saved the business. But what do you say to someone who's year one, year two, and they're just like, oh, shit. Like, if, I mean, this is a perfect year to look at it too, like after a pandemic. What do you say to them when it comes to that decision? Point? Well, listen, there is a part that you could be wrong. Meaning, look, so you are dating somebody, and let's just say something happens while you're dating for the first year and a half, and you know that's a red, that's not a good <laughs> sign right there, right? And you still end up marrying her or him. Six years later, the same thing repeats three times. Now you're going through a divorce. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? You knew about it, right? Now let's flip it. You are dating her or him, and 18 months you see something that concerns you marry, and he never does it again. Yep. You took the risk, but it ended up working in your favor. Mm -hmm. There are certain decisions that you're gonna make that it's about odds. So when I took that $13,000 at the beginning of the 
company and I put it back into the company, I knew there is a 80, 90% chance I'm gonna be put out of business. When I had the meeting with the big insurance company, we're sitting in my boardroom and the guy sitting across from me coming in here to wanna terminate my contract, and I said, before you start the meeting, I wanna tell you what my challenge is with you, and I told him, and he said, okay, I'm gonna let you have your contract for another year. You, you told know, him the challenge of well, your financial he, well, No, the, the challenge I had with him was the following. The oh, challenge man. I had is he had a meeting we were at in the Napa Valley. Mm-hmm. We're in Napa Valley, and my wife and him and my dad go to this experience, which is they're, they're cooking something. They're baking something. It's supposed to be me. I'm like, my, I just had a newborn son. He's six months old. I'd rather spend time with him. Babe, you go with dad. My dad goes with the King Kong of that company. Mm-hmm. It's not a small company. It's a couple hundred billion dollar company. He asks a question of my wife says, what do you think about Armenians, right? And I said, Armenians? So my wife's like, what do you mean? I'm married to one, right? I'm married to an Armenian. Long story short, he said, well, you know, we had certain insurance people that are ran by Armenians that we ended up having problems with and we lost a few million dollars. So it's like, no, I'm married to an Armenian. I mean, listen, I, I trust the person I'm with. They come back to the house, to the place we're staying at, And my dad says, don't tell anything to Patrick because I know Patrick's going to be very upset about this. So she tells me, and she says, I have to tell him because if he doesn't find out, he's going to get upset. So she tells me, I said, wait a minute, he said that? She said, yes. It's okay. Interesting. So I come back and I'm not one that cares about, you know, Armenian, Assyrian. I've been called so many things. When you join the army, you hear the worst things. Your skin (laughs) is so thick that you, if you can't handle condescending, joke, sarcastic environment, don't join the military. You were in the Marines for a long time, so you know exactly what I'm talking Uh, about, right? So It's unbelievable. (laughs) So I have the meeting. I'm down to $13,000. When I'm down to $13,000, at the same time, I'm having a meeting with this guy who's flying in to terminate my contract. If he terminates my contract, I have to shut down my business Mm -hmm. and file a two, three million dollar bankruptcy, which is it takes me a long time to recover from it. So he comes into the meeting. He's sitting right across the table from me. It's myself, my chief compliance officer, my CRO, uh, Jennifer, my wife, and a couple other people. They're sitting there, and he came in with his attorney to just, hey, here's a termination letter, sign it, right? And I said, look, before we get started, I heard uh, that uh, there was a bit of a concern about me being Armenian and it hurting with the fact that you don't trust the quality of our business. I just want you to know. I sure, I sure hope this is not going to be a challenge about my nationality. I sure hope this is going to be about a challenge of what my performance is going to be like. When I said that, my attorney said, don't say it because he can write there, terminate your contract. Maybe you're going to get a second chance. It's a gut feeling right there. I said that. It ended up favoring me. He said, hey, I totally understand. I'll give you your Long story short, we ended up having an 11-year relationship with this company, phenomenal relationship today. And when he ended up retiring after 35 years on a yacht party, five people spoke on his retirement. The last one was his best man, second to the last person that spoke was me. <laughs> we have a fantastic relationship today together. Point is, I could have made the wrong decision. Yeah. Things could have gone you against me. You literally didn't me. listen to anybody. That the point, sometimes <laughs> you have to trust your gut, you have to trust intuition, and you have to know that eventually, you're going to also need some luck on your side. So that's also part of running a business. Good Lord. So one thing you've said, kind of advocate for, is don't get married until you're 30. Mm-hmm. Right? And I get that. Uh, I, I've had a failed marriage before. But in business, what is the equivalent to your philosophy on don't get married before 30? Uh, I, I don't know if, if, if it would be different with business because business is not the rest of your life. Okay? Business could be 20 years. Business could be 10 years. Business could be 30 years. But in business, maybe, you know, when I first started running a business and I'm having a business partner together, he and I got on a lease together, we signed a contract together, we had accounts together, we shared money together. 
Two months after we signed a deal together, he leaves to Costa Rica for nine months. I'm stuck running a whole company by myself, right? But I had to run that company by myself with or without him. He came back nine months later. Eventually, we kind of made an arrangement. I said, this is not going to work out. I wish you all the best. We went separate ways, and it ended up working out for for me. So at the beginning when you're younger, for me, the edge is the following. Look, you got 420 uh, plan that I talk about. I had this business plan yesterday with a couple of ours that I'm mentoring. So first 20 years of your life, just don't make a stupid mistake. Don't <laughs> not not a you're gonna make stupid mistakes. Don't make the bigger mistake. What's the bigger mistake? The you know, you're doing time for a few yep. years. because it's a setback. Yep. You're just pre- preventing momentum from getting created. The second 20 years is find one career, one industry, and just do one industry. Don't change mm-hmm. 15 times. Mm-hmm. Lock into one. The third 20. Use the money you made from your career to get creative, right? Whatever that 20 may be. And then the last 20 is contribution, whether it's politics, church, nonprofit, whatever you want to do. I want to go back to something. And, and I thought about talking about this, but this, I, and, I, and I was like, you know what? Never mind. But this is perfect. The partnerships, business partnerships. When you are looking to go into a business and in consideration of partners, like what is your philosophy for other entrepreneurs? And like, do I need one? Do I not? Like, is there really a benefit? What what if what happens to you happens to them? It is such a murky area to any entrepreneur I talk to, especially, I mean, if you need capital, that's one thing. I can tell you this, 50-50 doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And the reason why 50-50 doesn't work is because eventually one is going to stop. And when the one stops, the other one is like, why are you stopping? So there eventually ends up being a resentment taking place. I have a friend of mine that I've been advising them and their company for quite some time. It started off where the three partners own 33, 33, 33, thinking their family, this is going to work out, et cetera, et cetera. Then all of a sudden, one is like, listen, I'm not, he started showing up at 10 o'clock to the office. I'm leaving at 2 o'clock, but he's still getting 50 grand a month. And then one was coming at 7 a.m., leaving at 7 p.m., and without him, the company wouldn't grow. So then they brought me in to say, hey, can you kind of help us out here? We have a big problem. So we sat down, we had dinner, very uncomfortable dinner. And eventually we got the last guy to agree to sell off his business. He got a million and a half dollar check. He gave away his 33% and then went to the other two. And out of the two that was left there, the one that was doing more, he got 66% of his 33%. So instead of that 33 going and being split 17-17, he ended up getting 22. His partner ended up getting 11. So 22 plus 33 is now what? 55 and his partner in the house, 45. So then the second partner started saying, look, I'm making two million a year. I don't wanna work as hard as, I don't care about building a billion dollar company. Now there's again risk. So then they brought another person in. He sold some of his shares. He bought some of his shares back. And again, he went lower. Now is at the final phase. He wants to sell 100% of his shares because he just doesn't want to have anything to do with the company. There's a lot of shares. Unfortunately, this costs a few friendships when you're going through this because typically a partnership starts off with friends, right? So the challenge becomes most people who are getting married, how many people you think at 100 marriages set up a prenup when they're getting married? Think about it. Out of 100 marriages, how many people set up a prenup? When you don't have shit, you're like, why am I going to set up a prenup? (laughs) So the same thing happens with businesses. You don't ask the tough questions because you're like, bro, we're going to be bros for the rest of our lives. And you don't understand when people marry another human being, he now goes to bed. He now is sleeping with somebody else. After they're done, she says, I think you deserve more than he does. I think (laughs) your friend is taking advantage of you. And now you come to work the next day. You don't know why he's giving you... Uh, he's got a temper. You're like, what the hell just yes. happened to you? 
It's the conversation, which is the last conversation you weren't a part of. So those dynamics is why I don't believe in 50-50. All right, everyone, I'm going to take a quick break. This is a sponsored podcast. So I am now sponsored by a company I believe in deeply. Otherwise, I never would have approached them. I had a bunch of offers for uh, sponsorships and I was like, no, 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 no. Let me reach out to rocketstation.com because they have helped me tremendously. And how have they helped me? They've helped me because they helped me find a VA, a virtual assistant who has absolutely changed this freaking business for me because she takes on the work of about two to three people. Okay, so number one, you you know you're probably doing too much. You know there's places where you could use help. They have full-time and part-time opportunities. These virtual assistants are not just calendar managers or not just email managers. They can do social media. Uh, Ellie helps with my podcast. Ellie helps with my LinkedIn. Ellie helps me with everything. And I am beyond thankful to Rocket Station for all their support in helping me place her in helping me to outline my processes and what I needed a VA for and just finding the right fit. Okay, so think about it. Think of everything that you're doing right now that you don't wanna be doing that someone else could be doing for you or something that you can document and hand off. And if you want it to be affordable and you want it to be done right and you want a support system, then you're gonna reach out to discovery.rocketstation.com, check it out, or you can email brooks at rocketstation.com. If you let them know that you were a listener of this show, they'll give you $500 off their process development setup, which is essentially you and a bunch of people on the Rocket Station team talking about everything that you are doing now, everything that you think could be taking off your plate and them process mapping it for you. So that way your VA could freaking step in and just start taking names right away. So thank you Rocket Station for everything that you've done for me and for sponsoring the show. This is exactly what entrepreneurs need. Let's get back. Now, one thing, I mean, you said it on the podcast many times, but you talk about this conversation you had with your mom and your mother, and you're like, the day before you got married, and you're like, you're now number two. And I'm like, God, that's some serious ball saying that. I mean, I, I get it, especially I'm Colombian, coming from like, a, uh, you know, that kind of family, like it's bigger than life, yes. right? It's insane. So, yes. so when you get there and you say you're now number two, I was like, that's an amazing conversation. Now in business, in business, you are trying to build out a future. You are trying to build out your legacy. Is there ever a point where that kind of, not your number two, honey, the business is number one, but there obviously is a delicate balance there. I mean- If Mario, you and her are in business together or no, if she's at no, home? No, just at home. Like Mario Got it. put something out on Instagram stories. Yeah. He goes, you know, leadership is working late, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, this is Mario making a post about himself. And then he flipped the camera and there you are at your car. It's 1130 at night. Yeah. yeah. All right. So it's like, it's, it, someone could look at that and be like, the family's not number one. Yeah. So what is that like for people who need to be like, hey, honey, this is how it's going to be? Such a great question. And there's so many misconceptions behind it. And people don't know how to explain this the proper way. So I had a conversation with one of our guys in Hawaii. Comes up to me, good guy. But uh, unfortunately, he is a conformer. For the last eight years, he asks me the same damn question. And I told him today, I said, stop asking me anymore. When we were in Hawaii, I said, stop asking me any more questions. You ask me the same questions. Let me, let me explain to you what your biggest problem is. He says, what's that? I said, your interpretation of what it is to be a great husband isn't yours. I said, your interpretation of what it is to be a great husband is the interpretation of your mom and your wife. You're miserable. I said, you're trying to be the great husband that your wife sees 
what the definition of a great husband is. You're trying to be a great husband of your, what your mother thinks is a great husband. What is your definition of a great husband? So I said, let me explain to you my definition of a great father, and I gave it to him. I said, here's a great definition of my definition. I said, my mom has a different definition. So does my dad, so do my friends, so do my siblings. I said, I don't live by their definition. I live by my definition. I'm leading my family. So now let's go back a step back outside of that. The reason why I don't think you ought to marry too early is because sometimes when you marry too early, you marry for sex and you marry because you're desperate and you're marrying because it's what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. All your friends are getting married and you're sick and tired of going to weddings. You're like, I hope people come to my wedding. But you know you shouldn't be getting married. Like you should take your time, right? So, so then you get married and how do you get married? Babe, I love you. You're so amazing. You're so this, you're so that. Fortunately, I got my hands on a book by Norman Wright called The 101 Questions to Ask Before You Get Engaged, right? On our second date, I gave this to my wife, then my girlfriend. I was talking to four girls at the time. They all read the book, right? <laughs> Miss California. Yes, like, that's right. Miss were, California. That's right. Yeah, and and it, we knew that wasn't going to work out. So, so we went through the question, and I said to her, I said, what is the longest you can handle being away from me? And she said, that's a tough question. I said, what's the longest? I said, 90 days. She says, no way. I said, 30 days? Maybe. What's the longest? Two weeks? I can do two weeks. Okay, so we have a number, two weeks. Good to know. So we're talking the timelines. Okay, when it comes down to, uh, uh, you know, raising kids, how are we going to do this? When it comes down to, if you and I get into a bad argument, who are the first people you're calling? I'm calling. When yes. it comes, everything was those things that we processed together, but she had to know. I said, I'm not going to stop. I said, you have to know, I'm not the nine to five guy. If you want to have dinner with me every night at six, I'm not it. I'm just not that guy. Okay, and I, I'm never going to be that guy. So if you're expecting me to be, be that guy, you're setting yourself for failure because it's just never going to happen. I'm playing offense. But if you're willing to be with somebody like me, which not many people can, and I'm okay with that. I'm not trying to get married. If it works out great, if it doesn't, it's not my goal in life to force myself to make this happen. I said, but if we are able to do it together, I'm going to give you the world. So what do you want? So she, after 18 months, finally we got married. We've been together now 11 and a half years. We got three kids and one on the way, and you know, I think we can make it one more year. So we take marriage one year at a time. <laughs> so if they're not in the situation you were, I mean, I'm not talking about me, but it literally applies, right? My wife's an Army veteran, I'm a Marine Corps veteran, like we work crazy hours, but now it's different. We have family, I'm out, I'm retired, and now I'm like obsessed. Like I'm obsessed with what I've discovered. It's a dangerous place to be. No, but I don't have cable. I stopped drinking two years ago. Like I'm all, I'm all in. And she doesn't complain. Ever. She's unbelievably supportive. Nothing, this wouldn't happen right now if it wasn't for her. However, I feel guilty. And I'm just like. What I, makes you feel guilty though? Which part? I want this to go to places that I'm not even thinking about yet. You know what I'm saying? So, and, you, But you feel guilty because of your time away? Or you feel guilty because you're putting more time into the business than them? Both. Both. Okay. I knew this was going to happen. I was yeah. like, shit, he has a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> so you feel guilty because of that and because you're. Time away. Okay. Um, resentment and bitterness is an ugly thing. Okay. <laughs> and typically, when you don't pursue your ultimate dream that you're serious about, not the one you're bullshitting around with. Like, yep. you know, people kind of say, well, I want to do this, but you're just kind of escaping something yep. and you just kind of look cool, want to look cool. But let's just say you're dead serious about what you want to do. Here's what's going to happen if you don't pursue it, you are going to be a miserable man to be around 10, 20 years from now, okay, if you don't pursue it. You will be that bitter 68-year-old father or husband to be around, and she's going to be like, get the hell out of that house. 
and a divorce is gonna happen eventually. Yeah. But if you do pursue it, there's still a risk, right? Because there's still the time away in what you're doing. So either way, whatever route you go, you're gonna have a risk, okay? No matter what direction you go. Let with. me tell you this, this is funny. I've never shared this with okay. anyone, any audience or anything like that. I met my wife when I was engaged to be married, but when I met her, I was like, holy shit. I could never stop thinking about her. And I always thought wow. to myself like, what would happen? Where, was, where were you guys at? We were in Big Bear, California. It was, it was ridiculous. So you were still her. in the military. Yep, okay. she was too. And it was like, we all went to Big Bear to get away from the military. And then there we are at a bar and it's like army girls and these Marine dudes. So long story short, we meet. I'm like, I could not stop thinking about her. So my, and I ended up getting married because I was a coward. I stayed and I got married. And, and, and then I ended it six months later because I kept waking up. This is fucking crazy if you're listening to this. But I, I kept waking up in the middle of the night. I'm like, this can't be it. So the first girl you were engaged to, you meet your current wife. Uh-huh. You were too much of a coward to leave her. You end up marrying your first. Six months later, you knew it's not going to work out. You leave her and end up marrying your current wife. And you I, guys have now been together for how long? Uh, we've known each other now eight years. We've been married four or five years. Amazing. It's, it's because of what you said. I, I was like, this can't be it. If you go to, and this is actually this is for entrepreneurship. Perfect example. Yeah, like yeah. if you are going to the traditional workforce, like I was at Amazon, yep. like, this can't be it. Yep. I can't be in a warehouse 16 hours a day. So we, this is a perfect segue into processing. Jeff Bezos, I mean, what a coincidence. He always says stress comes from problems that you don't solve. And you're talking about processing in your next five moves. And you're talking about how surface level processors kill a problem, but there's a chance it's going to resurface. Mm-hmm. Expert processors solve a problem permanently. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so it's going to the root instead of the surface issue that you have. And it's so often we do this, whether it's in business, whether it's in marriage, whether it's with your own vice. We all have a vice. There's not a single person that doesn't have a vice. Some of us have more. You know, Some of us have less. The other day, I'm walking around my uh, one of my employees, and he wants to show me uh, one of the pictures of a car he saw, he pulls out his phone to show me the picture of the car. There's full-on penetration porn he's been watching. While he's, I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, shit, I was watching porn. I said, you're watching porn at work? He said, man, I have a hard time with porn, right? So uh, some people, you know, their, their struggle is women. Some it's drugs. Some it's alcohol. Some it's cocaine. Some it's, you know, some it's so many different things. And it's publicly embarrassing if people knew about it. But we all got it. There's something that you're dealing with. Yep. Well, you can say, I'm just going to go, you know, set it aside here. Rather than asking questions, like, for example, I would ask and say, you know, laziness. Why the hell am I? I'm going to stop being lazy. No, why are you lazy, though? Ask the damn question. Uh-huh. Why is Patrick Bed David lazy? Why is the guy, you know, my dad would say, you're so lazy. I was 17 years old. You're so lazy. You're so lazy. I'm like, why am I so lazy? So finally, later on in life, I'm like, okay, why am I lazy? I find a laziness to stem from being bored. If a person watching a boring movie, what's the first thing we do? We fall asleep. <laughs> if your life is boring, you're going to fall asleep. So guess what? I said, I want to make sure my life is never boring. If I have a boring life, I'm going to be lazy. So then I had bitter people in my life. And I said, man, you know, I have way too many bitter people in my life. And I'm starting to sense that I'm getting bitter. So then you ask the question, why are people bitter? Why are you bitter? What is bitterness stemmed from? What causes people to be bitter? How does a person go from being fully happy to all of a sudden six months later, 12 months later, 24 months later, they're bitter? What is it? Is it external? It's always blaming somebody else. Is it something they personally did that they didn't want to take responsibility for? Is it you know you screwed up, but you can't say you screwed up because it's going to hurt you. So rather than putting it on somebody else, 
you know, rather than putting it on yourself, you put on somebody else, right? So, you know, being a great processor and, and being a deep, you know, rather than a surface processor is asking the tough questions until you finally get to the bottom of it and you realize, look, no matter how much you want to blame your mom and dad and brother and cousin and all this other stuff, at the end of the day, it's on you. Like, for example, you know how you go see a psychologist? And I had one of my guys, I'm in Cancun with this guy, and every other month I see him, he's a different human being. <laughs> Okay, and I've known him for 15 years. He does very well for us. It's one of my favorite guys in the company, but it's never the same person you ever talked to. So I pulled him aside one day in Cancun, and I said, I got a question for you. He says, what's that? I said, man, how often do you change? I said, I have one recommendation, a simple recommendation for you. He says, what's that? I said, you and I have known each other for nearly two decades. I said, you're never the same guy I talked. I have to look in your eyes to see, is it the upset, the jealous, the bitter, the happy, the angry? Who is it today? I said, I'm not the most important person in your life. I said, the most important person in your life is your family, is your friends, is your parents, is your future wife and future kids. Do you realize how much you're gonna drive your wife and kids insane one day because you're never the same? He's looking at me. I said, I'm not telling you to do this. It's purely a recommendation. Go see a therapist to find out why do you change so often? You're always a different human being. What is it? He goes, sees a therapist. And I said, never settle with one. Interview five therapists as if you're marrying somebody. You can't ever go to a therapist that's like, oh my gosh, it's their fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's her fault. The yeah. strong therapist is the one that says, what did you do about it? How did you contribute to this? How did it happen with you? Because even when you meet with therapists, these therapists that make $200 a session, what do they typically want you to think about? Oh, it's because of your mom. Oh, it's because <laughs> of your dad. It's always because of this, which by the way, there is some credence behind that. I'm not taking credit away from that, but it eventually has to come back to who? What well, you and I are willing to do about it. Let me say something on that. I know you're big on therapy. I think it's like data. Sometimes data could tell you the story you wanted to tell you. And the same thing happens. If a therapist is leaning a certain direction and you give them the, the little kind of segue, it's easy to be like, Patrick, it's about your mom. <laughs> But let me talk about the processing again. So you also mentioned that envy is an indicator that you're not happy for people who are winning, that that's actually an indicator of envy. And what you're actually, what's actually happening is you're saying, I can't do that. How does processing or learning about yourself and processing kind of help you to get away from hating on people who are winning and get you to the place where it's like, I can do this? Oh my gosh, listen, gratitude opens up the floodgates of good things happening to you. There's a lot of those things. You've heard it before, so I'm not gonna go through that direction. I'm gonna take it a different direction with you here. Okay, in my life, I've been around a lot of competitive people. I'm a pretty competitive guy. If we play something, I wanna figure out a way to win, right? Whether it's Monopoly, whether it's backgammon, whether it's ping pong, I don't care, whatever it is, I wanna compete. The most dangerous competitors I've had in my life the most dangerous people I've ever experienced in my life, by far, it's not even close. Competitive, ambitious, lazy people are the most dangerous people you'll ever befriend in your life. Let me say, <laughs> ambitious, lazy people. You know what an ambitious, lazy person is? Ambitious, lazy person is somebody that's, they are, they think big. They wanna be CEO one day, they wanna be a millionaire one day, they wanna be a billionaire one day, they wanna be a president one day. But they don't want to do the work, right? They want to take a shortcut. And you, when they see you, who is ambitious and are doing the work, they can't stand that. So what is their play? Their play isn't offense. Their play is to figure out a way to defame, undermine, manipulate, spin, until they get to find a way to slow you down. Unfortunately, the world favors the bold. 
the world favors the one that's willing to get up, who's ambitious and is willing to do the work. But that doesn't mean the ones that are extremely ambitious and lazy don't get in the way. So what's the moral of the story here? Somebody may be watching this. If you wake up in the morning, you're playing offense, and somebody else is doing it bigger than you, working harder than you, you have to answer two questions. Here's how simple the question is. Number one, do you have the same size vision as that person does? If the answer is, I don't really care if I'm a billionaire one day. Cool. I don't really care if I run a channel with you know, 20 million subscribers like you know, Logan Paul. Okay, cool. I don't really care if I'm living in a 20,000 square foot house and I got a yacht parked outside. Cool. Number two. Then, you know, if you, if you look at somebody and like, do you have a vision of it? Then who cares what that person's doing? Meaning, if that person wants that, leave them alone. Mm-hmm. Let them go what they're doing, but don't hate on what that other person wants to do. If you know you don't have that vision. Now, if you may say, you know what? I also have a vision like that. And I think I can do it better than him or her. Well then, great. What are you doing about it? Yeah, I don't know if I want to work that hard. I have to take my Saturdays <laughs> and Sundays off. Well, he's working on Saturdays. So you can't compete with a person that's putting in the six days and you only want to do, want to do a four-day weaker. So that disconnect is r- the reason why the number one question, if I hire you today and you come on board and you want to be one of my sales guys, one of the executives, you want to be a talent on value first question before I hire you, I said, listen, um, who do you want to be? Tell me who do you want to be in life? It's my first question I ask. And it's one of the toughest questions because most people don't have the answer to it. Who do you want to be and what kind of a life you want to live? How big you want your life to be? Well, I don't know. I kind of want to be this person. So whatever that is, I'm kind of leading you in that direction. Mm -hmm. And if anybody thinks bigger than you, I tell you, don't even think about looking at them because that's not who you want to be. Mm -hmm. So what if they're where you're never going to be? Your route is here. This is the life you chose to live. Go here, okay? You can get challenged. Somebody can push you. Somebody can challenge you. But you may say, I really don't care. I don't care if I have that kind of limelight. Let me try and flip this a little bit because this is something that I know happens. It's happened to me where maybe the vision, you and I are in the media business. I know your vision. I have a very similar vision. I'm waking up at 4 a.m. every day, even on the weekends. I'm putting in the work. I go to the gym. I have my mental health. I'm not drinking. I'm focused. I'm studying. I'm reading. But you're winning, and I know you're not putting in the same amount of work. How do you process that when it's not necessarily a matter of vision or work ethic, when the actual other person is maybe working less? At least you perceive it to be that. How do you know that, though? You don't. How Do you, do you <laughs> sleep with them in the same bed? Do you, are you around her all the time in the house to see what they're doing? Do you see how they're thinking? Yeah. So now I'll give you another part here for you to be thinking about when you, when you process that. So remember, the strategy is four things. Outwork is the first one, okay, which is the most elementary thing you can do to compete in the marketplace. Just go outwork, outwork your opponent, right? Number two is what? Out-improve. Out-improve is what? Out, you know, meaning read more, study the, the articles. That's the kill list, right? But outwork, out-improve. Yes. Out-improve, right? The next one is what? Out-strategize. Now, if you think about it, how soon can one be a hard worker? Right now, today. You can start working hard today. You don't have to wait 10 years to be a hard worker. I can start and make a decision. Moving forward from today, I'm listening to you on the clubhouse, on the interview, on LinkedIn. I'm going to be a hard worker moving forward. Great. How soon can somebody make a decision to out-improve their peers? So what does that mean? Well, think about all your peers who are ahead of you. They've probably read the common 10 or 20 books that are out there. Pick the top 10 or 20 books, whatever those books may be, right? If those 10 or 20 books that are out there that everybody reads, you read as well, now you're at the same level as them. But you go read 30, 40, 50, 100, 200, 500,000, 2,000 books, now you're out improving them. How long is that gonna take you? That's not gonna take you today. 
to read the 100 books to get you to think in a different way than your peers, how long will it take for a person to read 100 books? Let's say two years, okay? Because it's one a week, right? Okay, what's the next one? Strategize. How soon can I get the best strategies in life? Today? No. One month? No way. One year? No way in the world. Two years? Five years? 10 years? No. It's at least a decade until you get the right strategies. And I'm talking the strategy where you can compete at the highest level, right? And then what's the last one? Outlast. Can you do that today? No. <laughs> can you do it in a week? No. So then you could go for two years, but another person who's been going for five years, they have a compounding effect, uh, uh, you know, lead on you. So they've been compounding a lot longer than you have. Somebody may be a better investor today, but Buffett's got 60 years on them. <laughs> Makes sense. Somebody may have a better physique today to win Mr. Olympia, but, uh, you know, Big Rami's got 20 years of lifting weights on him. So you have to understand the outwork you can do today, the out-improve you can start today, but you need about 100 books to get ahead of your peers. That could take you two years. The out-strategize takes a decade. The out-last takes four decades. It's a long time. I know you got to wrap in a few. Uh, I heard a quote, you just reminded me of it, that people overestimate what they could do in a year, but underestimate what they could do in 10 years. And I try and keep that in mind every day that I'm kind of like, oh man, this is a shit week or anything like that. And actually, one of, something you said about dealing with rejection, it completely was like lightning struck when you're like, you reject people every day. You unsubscribe from emails all the time. That's you right. unfollow people That's all the time. Right. And I'm like, no shit. <laughs> so let me end with this. You have this question, and I think you've asked it at your conferences or whatever it is. Who is the richest person you know? You ask people. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I'd like you to make that point for everyone who doesn't know the answer to that question that you usually get. So who's the richest person you actually know and interact with? They'll say somebody in their family that's an entrepreneur, small business owner, and it's typically the person they hate the most. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's the case. So, I mean, so entrepreneurship then as a viable option in act two of your life, you know, whether you're an adult like me at 40 years old or a veteran, what is, uh, and, and I know you don't like the, what, what, what does success look like, but what would your kind of advice be like when you are intimidated and you're kind of staring down the barrel of, I could go into the regular workforce or I could actually put all my chips in, make this option A, B, and C, what would you say to those people? I'll tell you, 90% of people don't need to go become entrepreneurs, not because they can't, mm-hmm. not because they can't. So maybe I'll explain it this one and we'll wrap up. So imagine if I can go be an entrepreneur and as a number one, because an entrepreneur to me is your number one, you're the founder, mm-hmm. right? Imagine I go be an entrepreneur and as a number one, I can build a business that does a million a year as a number one. I can build a business that does two million a year and I net 400 grand a year, okay? Or I can do run a business that does 10 million a year and I net 20%, which is Two million here, right? I can do that being as a number one. However, that same person who can be a number one and their capacity is to get to $2 million a year net income, that person may go be an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. work with a ridiculous entrepreneur, own five, 10% of the company, and their cap is not 10 million. It may be a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. It may be a half a billion dollars. So there is this idea of, I have to be number one, where I'm like, okay, great. But that doesn't mean that's your capacity. You could be a number one and still screw the whole thing up and only make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. If what you're solving for is to be number one and you make all the decisions, fine. But if you're solving for capacity, you may be a great number two. You may be a great number three. So I suggest 90% of people consider entrepreneurship 
10% of people you know, uh, consider going into entrepreneurship. If you have the ability to run with a 32-year-old Elon Musk, who you will know when you meet some, by the way, somebody's watching, listening to this or watching this saying, how do you know if it's going to be the next Elon Musk? I guarantee you, you're going to feel it. <laughs> I guarantee you, you're going to feel the energy. You're going to say, this guy's different. This girl's different. You're not going to feel anybody like that in your life. Then you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to go in business with them and I'm going to help them out and I'm going to ask them for equity within a year, two years, three years. Hopefully I'll get and I'll have a big exit. Great. So entrepreneur for 90%, entrepreneur for 10%. Love it. Hey, Clubhouse, we're going to wrap up. Patrick, uh, last thing I wanted to, I know you got to go. I wanted to give you this really quick. Thank you so much. Um, this is uh, my squadron patch. So when I flew uh, helicopters, we had a, a mishap right before we deployed to Afghanistan. We had a midair collision. We lost seven people. And I always reflect on my time in that squadron and how we dedicated that deployment to them. Uh, we dedicated that deployment to them. We had a badass deployment. We got infiltrated on base and we repelled it. Everything was amazing. But that is why I left Amazon. I'm like, I can't, it's not the same. Like, I don't feel anything for these people. I, I, it's not important for me to get this box to someone on time. And, and when you say you just can't stomach working for someone else and, and letting, you know, your activity, you know, it doesn't help. Uh, they, don't, they don't see you for you. So I was like, I'm out. And I reflect on this. I give this to all my guests, but that's for you. And that's I it, appreciate man. that. And it's, yeah. got the, it's got the little Libra sign on the shield. I don't know if you see that because that's my sign as well. It's the balance. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's got the balance right there. Thank you so much for this. We bring vengeance to our enemies. And what most of these viewers don't know is you also got me caviar because Matt Sapala <laughs> said Patrick <laughs> likes caviar. So I appreciate that. Yeah, Thank yeah, you so much, course, man. man. Really. Um, and Alex, is this camera on him? Can you let me know how you think the interview uh, went? I, I mean, I got ambitions. I'm going to get The Rock one day and Jimmy Fallon, but you let me know what you thought of this interview. First please. of all, I love this interview. Great question. Uh, uh, great follow-up questions. I've done many great interviews. I really enjoyed this one. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode with PBD, Patrick Bet David. I just wanted to say thanks to Valuetainment, to Kai, uh, to Mario, to everyone over there. Uh, just a great, great, great crew. Uh, I, I would be absolutely shocked and appalled if you did not get anything valuable out of that podcast. And if you did, then you would probably be willing to share it and rate and review it. That is what this podcast is all about, which is reaching more entrepreneurs, more people who are in the situations we're in now, people who are ahead of us, people who are behind us. It doesn't matter. Like we got to have a community. And that's why I get these people on the show so they could share with you, you know, knowledge that's just going to help you with all the existing problems that you have, because come on, man, we got a ton. <laughs> we got a ton of problems at any given time. And, uh, and that's what I want to do is help siphon some of this knowledge from the experts and distill it down to, to us. All right. You're never too old to learn and you're never too new to take action. See you next time.